Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name is Stuart Wright, and today's guest is screenwriter, script editor, and someone with 15 years and more experience in TV, Amanda Graham. Welcome to the show. Hi, Stuart. It's so nice to be here. Thank you for asking me. I'm, I'm very excited. We're going to do five mindsets to have to kick down the doors if you're an outsider. But before we go into that, you actually run networking sessions with various groups of people that that sort of go into this in a lot more detail, well, go expand further on to what we're going to talk about today. So do you want to just give a brief overview as to, you know, who, you, who, who what type of people you talk to, how those networking sessions work? Yeah, no problem, Stuart. Okay, first of all, I know that there's a lot of people who are going to listen to this and, and they, networking has got to be one of the worst things to do, right? Especially if you're introverted or you live in an isolated place or whatever. It can be really, really difficult. And in my 15 years of working in the TV industry, I have made every single mistake that you can make networking. And uh, so what I what I did was I started putting all of these mistakes together and kind of cracked a little formula. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and then I kind of pulled pulled together different strands of knowledge. You know, it, like how to how to network in person, um, how to kind of. Uh, crack people, you know what I mean? How to email people you don't know, which is a huge thing, um, uh, you know, for for most people who network, really. Um, how to know when people want to talk to you in a room, um, you know, kind of networking attitudes, who to network with, and then kind of net networking um, online as well. So like through Twitter, LinkedIn, that kind of stuff. It sounds really, really dry, but I think the tragedies from my life, Stuart, that I put into it, as well as the tragedies from other people I know in the industry, you know, from like networking nightmares, whatever, really, it, it's, it's quite a fun session. It's very lighthearted. It's, it's really good. But, but also, I think, I think as well, what that speaks to is that networking is, an, is, an, is a forever sort of lived experience. You're always going to meet people you can't really network with. You're going to meet people you get on with within seconds of looking them in the eye. And it's a numbers game in the end in some senses because you go out with the hope of meeting some interesting people or people that are interested in you. But you won't always Oh, yeah, that, 100%. 100%. You do want to find people you're interested in and people who are interested in you, like, you know, people you can collaborate with. And I think the biggest problem with networking is that people have this idea, you know, that it's like coked up 80s suited 
dudes, you know, pushing, <laughs> pushing cars into each other's hands and like mm. trying to seal the deal, you know, and it's, it's really not like that at all. It's, it's, it's much more about um, finding the people who you're going to work well with, you know, or support or whatever. It's building your nest essentially. Mm. And just like you said, it is a lifelong thing. It, it, you know, it's just something that you kind of never stop doing. Um, it, it, it is, it is in terms of your career, in terms of your life path, it's probably one of the most important things you can do, period. And I think it's interesting that you try and teach people to, how to get the best out of it. When I know mm. when I've spoken to people who've been, who've been on the podcast who are recently out of film school or whatever, and it's just really not part of any curriculum. And I've spoken to arts, you know, art students who have broke out into the art world. And again, the biggest surprise for all of them seems to be this idea that you're, you've got to always be on, <laughs> almost. You know, you're always you. The brand you is always on show and you've got to try and make the best of that for for better or worse, however you are. And that'll never, that never mm-hmm. ends. You're never going to know everybody. So. Oh, 100%. You're absolutely right. Like with the students that I teach, because I teach not only at my university, but other universities as well. I give sessions and I teach like industry bodies and groups of writers. Um, I teach privately. Um, So I do like a lot of experience with lots of people in the TV and film industry. And they all say the same thing. It's like, where do you even begin? Um, You know, and if you don't know what you're doing, then the chances are that everything you do is going to be wrong. And obviously there's that fear, isn't there, that you're going, isn't there that you're going to like turn away the one person who you want to work with most, you know what I mean? And just make them go, Oh God. So, um, and it is tricky. It is like, you know, when you're standing in a room, cause I hate standing in a room with people like that. I get so much anxiety, you know what I mean? And so I have to keep reminding myself of what to do, but if you don't know what to do, it is terrifying when you're new and you don't know anyone. And there's big groups of people, you know, who are powerful and they all know each other. Like, how do you start conversations with these people? And, you know, when you're emailing someone, whether it's an agent or whether it's a producer you want to work with, how do you email them? What do you say? You know what I mean? That's going to make them open the email, respond and like acknowledge that you're alive. It's, 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 um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a fine art, like learning how to do it really. Well, look, let's, let's not, let's not hold back any longer. So, uh, before we do start, I'll explain the rules of the show as it were, for those that aren't familiar with the five times five show it's, we've got, uh, Amanda's very kindly given me five statements that will be a kicking off point for Amanda to talk about aspects of five mindsets to have to kick down the doors if you're an outsider and I'll have a clock running that will run for run for five minutes and when the bell goes off or the dog barks as in this case we'll uh we'll stop but obviously finish your thoughts it's not uh it's not the law that you have to stop but it's more to it's more to give us an equal five minutes on all five things you've suggested so that we don't spend 25 minutes on one item and then one minute on four that's kind of it i'm just basically too too what do you call it i'm too polite to stop my guests so i introduced a passive aggressive alarm bell to make sure I could do. So I'm not the one telling people to stop. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, it's just funny because it's like a Pavlovian response. You know what I mean? I'm already like, oh my God, what am I going to feel when I feel it? Like, is it, is it going to be great? There's so much jeopardy in the steward. It's very exciting. Well, that's, I mean, that's also part of the fun is it introduces a little bit of jeopardy to what would just be a conversation, which is not a bad thing, but, uh, but no, to keep it, to keep it light as it were. Um, yeah, we have the we have the countdown. So, without further ado, 
Five mindsets to have to kick down doors if you're an outsider, Amanda. Number one is you belong. There is a space for you, even if you haven't been invited to the table. What are you saying there? Okay. I mean, I think it's really important for everyone to remember because most of us, you know, feel a little bit on the outside. Uh, We might have tried to get into places, but gatekeepers have kind of kept us away. Whatever the whole problem is, whatever your challenges are, it's really important to remember that you have experiences and you have a voice and you have talents that are meant to be put out in the world, right? So I always say it doesn't matter if you're not invited to the table because you can build your own table. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, mm. and, and and I think one of the things that um, is related to this is this idea of imposter syndrome. I mean, we all feel it, right? It, like yeah. at some point or another, it's, it's you know, and, and it's silly. I mean, it's... It, it's expected, but it's silly. And it, it sabotages us at the worst times, I think. I mean, do you find it distracting um, if you're talking to someone and you're feeling like, oh, God, I, I, you know, I don't belong here. I, they're going to find me out. It's, it's awful, isn't it? It's No, no, no. When that, when, that, when that thought strikes you, it can, it can almost make you lose the use of the English language. You know, sometimes you kind of, you're in the flow and then you look around the room and you see, you see other people go, oh, my God, they're more important than me. Yeah. That what, have, what have they got to learn from me? You know what I mean? I'm new or I, I haven't got that much experience or, you know, or, you know, there's, there's something wrong with me or whatever it is. Right. So I tell people like whenever they feel imposter syndrome, you know, one of the things is um, that, you know, you can do things like charting your successes is a big thing and talking to people honestly about it. Because generally speaking, no matter what industry you're in, you know, unless they're assholes, essentially, everyone has felt it and everyone's pretty open about it. And it's a really nice way to kind of bond with people. um, If you can just stand to make yourself a little bit vulnerable. And also, you know, with imposter syndrome, I think that's one of it, that comes down to a perfectionism. And I don't know if you feel this way about it, Stuart, but like, I know that like I can get caught up in something needing to be perfect or me needing to be perfect or, uh, you know, saying the perfect thing or creating the perfect thing when there is no perfect. Do you I know, mean, there I mean, isn't. I, well, it's, of course. Yeah. When you say it like that, you know, the idea of me speaking to someone who I think has got influence in whatever my future is, and worrying about the exact words I'm going to say. Whereas if I was talking yeah. to anybody that I'm more familiar with, so like I'm talking to you now, I'm not, I haven't scripted yeah. these words in my head because I'm thinking, oh my God, I better make sure everything I say is on point for whatever Amanda, might impress Amanda. But, but there is, yeah. when that thought strikes you, you can't, I, don't, I mean, I don't know, I don't really know what to do to try and avoid it. But, uh, but I've learned, I've learned not to worry too much that it's a, I'm having a conversation with somebody and I try and think, well, if it was my friend, then they'd be interested in what I've got to say. And that's all I've got to try. That's all I've got to rely on sometimes. That's what I always tell people in networking sessions. That's a great point that, you know what, when you go to a concert or a show or like a comedy thing and you're like, you know, in the queue for the bathroom or like at the bar, you talk, just talk to people naturally about what you've just seen, don't you? Even complete strangers. So I think what it's about is finding what um, you both have in common. You know, it's like a little puzzle trying to figure somebody out enough to figure out what it is that you can both talk excitedly about. And then that imposter syndrome kind of tends to disappear. But one of the things I wanted to like reiterate with this idea of you belonging and feeling that is that there is a real distinct edge to being an outsider. Because if we haven't been invited to the table, then we aren't 
bound by the same boring traditions and expectations, right? So we're kind of a little bit outside the rules and we are generally underestimated and it is much better to be underestimated than it is to be overestimated. Do you know what I mean? And the other thing is that if you do feel like an outsider and you are outside of the mainstream for whatever reason that that's happening, the chances are, especially if you're a creative, that you have an untapped audience out there whose needs are also not being met. Do you know what I mean? Because of the gatekeepers. So, um, so again, that gives you a dis- distinct advantage because you can be, you know, that small fish in the big pond, or you can be a leader, a thought leader, um, you know, creating kind of leading edge type content and whatever else for an audience that just has been ignored. You've reminded me of something that I remember going through in my own life, which was when I moved to London 20 years ago, my only experience... Oh, there goes the five minutes. Let me just finish my, my thought. When I came down to London, I had no experience of London media whatsoever. I'd done some journalism in Manchester and I'd written about the arts and music and stuff. But what I did have was expert knowledge about Manchester's art and music scene, which not everybody had in London. So what I thought was a, was a weakness, not knowing what was going on in London, became a strength because they needed to reach out into different areas to understand what's going on. And I had, I had that on a plate. And I was around the corner from them now. So it was kind of suddenly yeah. my, what I thought was my weakness became the strength. Um, and that was classically where I did, you know, where I did feel like an absolute outsider because I was new to the city, new to the place, new to the environs. And then suddenly I realized actually I had something to offer that they didn't have. You know, it just comes down to, and, and if you're, if, if for anyone who's listening, if you're still struggling with it, just this one last sentence before we go on to the next point, if you are still struggling with this and can't really visualize yourself being in that world, whatever world that you want to be in, I really recommend um, checking out Les Brown. Um, he's a motivational speaker and he his life story is insane. It's like, oh my God, I just love him so much. He's just brimming with charisma and possibility. And, and honestly, if he can change his life and, and imagine himself into the successful career he's had, anyone can do it. So check out Les Brown. Well, look, and we'll, 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 there'll be probably a few other books you might mention in this conversation. So we'll make sure we put links to all those in the show notes when the, when the podcast goes live. Okie dokie. Right then. Number two is continue to get better at whatever it is you do. There's no point in kicking down the door if you're a noob or are currently shit at what you don't, what you want to do. It's so funny now, like I need to preface this point by saying everyone starts out crap at the beginning, right? This is not like a judgment on like, everything's got to be amazing and it's got to be perfect. That's not what I'm talking about. We all like get better. We're crap at the beginning. We learn what works for us, you know, and, Mm. and then we just grow and we get better, right? And our content Mm. gets better and whatever we want to do gets better. So I just needed to kind of get that out of the way. But what, but one of the biggest classic mistakes that people make, especially in the TV and film industry, but in anything that involves talent, right? Musicians and whatever else is, they worry about the access. How do I get an agent? How do I get a meeting? How do I work for this person? You know what I mean? Mm. But they don't think about whether they're ready to do it. Because what is the point in having that big meeting? What is the point in getting that meeting with an agent if your stuff is crap? Do you know what I mean? And mm. and and that's the thing. Like, it's... That's, it's really important, um, you know, to, to make sure that you are 
growing and developing and working on whatever it is that you want to be amazing at, you know, you, you've got to constantly get better and work at it and, 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 and refine it and, and get shit hot. Like you just have to do that. Um, and it's your responsibility to do that. You know, especially if you're put if you're a creative and you're putting stuff out there. And I know that it, this, you know, that process sucks. It, it's, it sucks. It takes years. I mean, Malcolm Gladwell is always talking about 10,000 10, hours, isn't he? Mm. Um, but, you know, and, and obviously I know like we go on YouTube and, and billionaires are always saying we've got the same 24 hours in a day, but that's not true. You know, like a lot of us have kids and, and other jobs and we've got other responsibilities. So we don't all have the same hours. So what I'm saying is it does take a long time to get better, right? It really does. But it's just something that you have to do. And unfortunately, if you are an outsider and there are gatekeepers who are trying to keep you out because you don't fit the mold or whatever else, then unfortunately, it's kind of like, yeah, like Steve Martin says, you have to be so good that they can't ignore you, right? So your scripts have to be so good that the agent is dying to take you and or your music has to be so amazing that people want to see you live or whatever it is. And, you know, obviously that's exhausting, but the upside is, that um, you will scrape and you will fight and you will claw your way up in terms of, you know, your talent and everything. And when you do that and you get to the place where you want to be, it will feel like magic. It will feel like magic. And, you know, people who've had it easy, who get given every opportunity without really working for it, um, it's very rare they make things that are memorable. And, and in a way, what, what it sounds like what you're saying is, is you know, there's going to be a little bit of luck involved somewhere on the line. So be ready to be lucky when that happens. It's like. That is a great way of putting it. Yes. Be ready when the opportunity arises. But always remember that especially the first couple of years you're, you know, playing or writing or whatever it is you're doing, you're probably not as good as you think you are you know? And, um, and so it's important obviously to like, make sure you're getting like your peers, like giving notes back and giving, you know, listen to people's feedback and stuff like that, because I've blown up. I blew a big chance when I was a a new writer, um, with AMC, a huge chance. And, uh, I thought I was ready and I wasn't, I wasn't even close to being ready. Um, and so I just, you know, it's one of the things that I always try and make sure that it's not just about getting past the gatekeepers. It's about be our work being good enough mm. so that we're irresistible to someone, you know, to an audience or whatever else. So, yeah. But, but the, the upshot of this is that you control that part of it because the networking and the access you don't control. And while, and while you can work on that long game, as we talked about in point one, the long game that runs parallel is the bit you absolutely do control, which is, turning up whenever, whenever you can and what's convenient to your life and circumstances and becoming better at writing, better at whatever it is that you're trying to do because nobody can stop you doing that in a way. No, 100%. That's absolutely right. It is down to you. And the great thing is to build on what you just said because that's such a good point. But the, the great thing is that every time you you get better, right? Like if you're a filmmaker and you make your first short and then you do, you know, and you do like maybe your first collaboration, whatever then you also trade more networking on each step you're doing, right? So when you go up more and you learn, you meet more people and you're collaborating with more people and whatever else, so it works really well. It's just that it's really important to not, um, to be, yeah, to be ready when you've got the chance, but don't, 
you know, don't blow your chance. Don't blow your chance. I, I couldn't agree. I could. I could. I couldn't agree with you anymore. It's like for me, and I and I I I, I echo your your uh, your idea that we we're not as good as we think we are. Because when I, I think when I when I made the transition as I thought I was from journalism to screenwriting, I was like writing is writing. You know, I'd been doing journalism for 10, 15 years, so I thought I could write. But obviously, that's the, the, while the words on the page are the same skills, the way they're received and the way that they're viewed to be good or bad are not the same rules at all. And the, <clears throat> the things you have to achieve with the words on the page are not the same either. Um, and that was a big, a big steep learning curve for me and not one I anticipated at all. It was just like, oh, different task, different output, be fine. I can put words on page. But it's took me, it took me a good decade, I think, for me to begin to feel comfortable in even just the basic task of trying to develop a screenplay. Whereas I think after year two, I'd written a couple of screenplays and I thought I knew what I was doing. But I don't, I don't, looking back, I don't think that at all. I know that, and I think that's the, the thing, I, and I say, I, I mentor a couple, I've mentored a couple of people over the last recent years. And the bit that I keep saying is, you are the only measure of your success. You know, you know where you were when you started. And you know how far you've travelled. Me saying I'm not that I'm not as good as Quentin Tarantino does isn't a measure of my success or failure. It's it's just a, it's just an abstract thought. Whereas I know from where I was at point A and I'm, and I'm now at point B, what improvement I've made because I was able to you know I I can point to things that suggest it and that that that's almost like the best way to it almost like I think that helps with the imposter syndrome as well is that. If you can see you have a chart in your success, exactly. If you can see you've improved, then that's the best sign you've got, which means you're moving mm-hmm. up. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean you're a showrunner. It doesn't mean you're an award-winning writer yet, but it means you're better than you was, and that's the only path you can be on to get to the get to the ultimate success you might desire. Um, the dog did bark during that, so we're on to um, okay. we're on to number three in our list, which is yeah. the thing that makes you different is most likely the thing that is your greatest asset. Do you want to uh, explain that one to us? Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, obviously, for those of us who are outsiders, and, and, and I, you know, obviously, you know, most of your listeners don't know who I am, but um, I, you know, I, I was the weirdo. I, you know, I, we were poor growing up. I, I'm autistic. I mean, I can't get any more different, you know, in a lot of ways. And, and, uh, and I, I was in a culture when I was young. I mean, I was just the outsider come like from every kind of angle. So I understand how this works and I understand what it's like to feel different. And there is a certain hopelessness in feeling um, when you realize what makes you different. Like if it's something that you can't change, I think there's, I think it's more difficult to to see what you can do with that and where or where you can go with that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And and so somebody pointed out it wasn't the maybe it was the obstacle is the way, but it might have been um, the big leap, which is also an amazing book. But um, that the thing is, you know, that we need more sparkly unicorns in the world, and there are way too many people who spend all their time trying to be like everyone else. And obviously the problem is then you can't create memorable things. You can't be a memorable person if you're beige. You know what I mean? And I mean that obviously not, not literally, but um, you know, you don't have to dress in beige or whatever, but I mean, like if you're, you know, if you're just kind of boring and flat and trying to fit in with everyone, then nothing, there's nothing interesting. 
So for those of us who feel like outsiders, there's always something. And it doesn't even have to be something as an adult. Like, you know, it can be like when you were a kid, did you ever get like, what was the thing that your teachers always said about you? You know, like, did you talk too much? Yeah. Um, you know, were you distracted? Uh, you know, could you have worked harder, but you're really clever, but could have worked harder. It's usually something that either your teacher said about you, mm. kids teased you about, or something, a trait you have that gets you fired. It's usually one of those three things, mm. right? That it's it's linked to, but it doesn't have to be one. You know, we get um, more, but whatever, whenever you're criticized for a difference, and I don't mean, you know, if, if you act like a dick or whatever, I'm talking about something that's innately part of your personality or your beliefs or, you know, your experiences or where you're from or whatever else. That's, that is probably the kind of thing it is. I mean, can you think of anything off the bat for you that that was like that for you? Well, I could I could I could quote it to you. It's something that I'm always reminded of in my head is that uh, and it's a, it is a school report that said Stuart is easily distracted and then he distracts others. That was that was on a school report of me when I was about 15. But whereas in the same year another teacher said Stuart is a born leader. So she saw the positive in the jibber jabber whereas the other mm-hmm. teachers saw the negative in it. And it's just really interesting that yeah. those two things coexisted in the same year of me at school. So it was sort of like that. And then that, I mean, I didn't think that at the time, don't get me wrong, but looking back, I can see that is definitely where you want to find the people that think I don't, I don't, this isn't me being, I am a born leader at all, but you want the people that feel like you are someone to be with as opposed to someone that wants you to shut up. Yeah, no, hundred percent. But look, so you got in trouble for being a chatterbox when you were young and now look what you're doing right now. You know what I mean? So it's, 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 it's one of those things that like, it, and, and we always, ch- we always get so upset at ourselves, like, especially if it's something that um, people criticized us for, you know, that's like an essential part of our personality or who, what, how we're made up. It's so hard to not like beat yourself up for that, because especially if it's something you can't change, or we spend all this time trying to change something that's really hard to change. Like I know as an autistic person, it's really exhausting to mask. It's really exhausting to fit in. Like it is physically, emotionally, mentally exhausting to try and fit in. You know what I mean? But you have to, you know, to, to you have to, to function and job and stuff. So, um, so I really understand that, but on the other side, but it, it always, you know, it's, it got me into trouble and I, you know, I, I, I say the wrong things sometimes and I, and uh, I, I lose relationships because of my quirks and, and that kind of stuff. However, because I've had such a hard time understanding people um, and, and how they work and why they do the things they do, I've had to watch them a lot. I've had to observe them. I've had to read a million books on the topic. And because of that, um, it, it has equipped me. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. to um, not only kind of write copy for people, but to write for people because character, like especially characters informing them in the story world, because I understand how people interact with each other. I understand what they're doing, what they're, when, what they're saying is not the same thing as what they're thinking. You know what I mean? Like I understand that. And that comes from 
that challenge specifically. So um, yeah, it's so it's an amazing thing. I think once you can, once you realize that your obstacle is is the thing you is the way, right? It is the thing you must do, and it's 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 key to your success to use that thing that you're naturally gifted with. Then it, it changes everything. I think. Right then, number four is there is never only one way to get to where you want to go. Getting creative and staying open-minded about your goals will most likely help you reach them faster. What do you mean by that? Well, obviously, um, you know, it's, uh, I think, well, we, (laughs) I think the older we get, the more we realize and appreciate it. Correct me if I rock, sir, but that life does not work out the way you think it's going to. Do you know what I mean? I was a trainee quantity surveyor at 16, so riddle me that. Yeah, exactly. Right. And you said you've pivoted from uh, journalism to scriptwriting as well. You know what I mean? Like, I think the problem is that when we plan, um, you know, this is where I, this is, you know, I want the Emmy, you know, or or I want to make uh, the best horror film ever or whatever that goal is. Right. Mm. Um, Especially if it's a specific thing, like I'm going to have the first Oscar for, you know, whatever type of horror, whatever it is. The problem is then we get so focused on just that one kind of train track, do you know what I mean, to to that goal, that we miss out on a million different opportunities, um, uh, you know, about, you know, that that life gives us. We miss um, the roundabout ways, the zigzags that get us to those goals, like, you know, that teach you other things that you maybe wouldn't have learned, uh, you know, along the way. And sometimes when you get sidetracked, and you allow yourself to get sidetracked, you find gifts and things that you love that you wouldn't have necessarily known. Mm. You know what I mean? So um, it's really important, I think, to be flexible. Um, and also that, you know, as we get older and as we, you know, as we evolve and learn things, I, I, our goals kind of change a little bit. You know what I mean? Um, they, well, I mean, you know, think about the person you had a crush on when you were 14 and, and you know, wanted to profess your undying love for I mean can you imagine if you had actually ended up with them you know it's it's <laughs> it's like ah so um so it's really important to kind of stay loosey-goosey and open to kind of what life throws at us and uh and and, and I learned so uh, you know it's important to stay yeah it's important to stay open and um and and not do that thing of the sunken cost thing right because that just leads to devastation essentially like so the sunken cost is obviously i've already put this much effort into it or the, mm. these many resources or this much time i, I have <clears throat> to stay in this um you know that you know if, if you're getting an opportunity to do something like a little bit different maybe it's time to just kind of just be open try the new thing um and don't be stubborn you know and say it's got to be this way so um you know what we had what were we talking about before? I read this book called Pivot by Jenny Blake, and mm. it's amazing. It's it's so good. And it's about what happens when life forces you to pivot, right? Like maybe you're getting into a new phase in your life or you've got to move or you've been fired or whatever it is. So now this is so cool about like how to shift your goals, right? So she strips back like this kind of shift in your life and, and, and into a few things. First, she gets you to figure out your core values, right? Like the five most important things or phrases in the world that, that are 
that make up who you are, whether, whether you're about freedom, whether you're about justice, whether you're about money, whether you're about you know, loving your family, whatever it is, those few things, those core values you've got, then she gets you to think about the things that you're naturally good at, right? Like we had just talked about things that, things that like come naturally to you, things that people say, you're really good at that, that don't require a lot of effort. Mm. doesn't matter how small they are. doesn't matter how you can, and just could, you could be introducing people and that's what you're good at whatever it is. So you add the core values, you add the things that you're naturally good at, and then she gets you to think about your mission statement. Like, in other words, what impact do you want to have on the world? What impact do you want to have on the people that you love or, you know, whatever, whoever that is. Now, this is where it gets magic, right? You combine all these things together yeah, and you think about, instead of thinking about that end goal, the award, you know, the, the, the accolades, whatever it is, you know, the prestige, whatever that thing is, the pot of money, instead of thinking about that, think about the feeling that you would have if you were doing the thing that comes naturally to you in perfect alignment with your core values and having the impact that you want to have on the world. Now, when you focus on that feeling, instead of focusing on how it, you get there and what that end result is, then you, um, then you free yourself up to have different experiences. So what I mean is like, um, I, you know, I want to have an impact in the world by making people feel empowered, um, no matter how messed up their lives were, how much they've messed up their lives or whatever else. Now, the way I thought I was going to do that was by writing, right? Writing shit hot shows, shit hot movies and whatever else. And that's the only way I was going to do it. Mm. But then I started thinking, okay, I want to feel good about helping people, right? I want to feel good about that kind of thing, but I can do that in other ways. I can do that. Teaching comes really naturally to me, maybe writing some books that can help people as well. So that's what I mean. If you shift the goal to your goal is to feel that specific way, Mm. then you open up the ways that you can get there, open up the possibilities to try new things. And you never know where life will take you. Absolutely. No, I mean, you know, if I could, if I could take you on the bumpy journey that was trainee quantifier at 16, it then became, yeah, go ahead. It, it then became various warehouses, office jobs. It then became a communications manager. It then became a journalist. It then became a screenwriter, a podcast host. And now, like I said to you before we started, I've done a little bit of teaching now. So all those things make no sense. And I've managed the rock band as well. So it was like, it was it was just a, a a series of things which were which were uh, I didn't realize it but with you saying what what that what pivot describes in a way I was always trying to find something that was going to help me get that feeling so managing a band was great because you were with your friends and you were working and it was having you were you were you were knocking down some doors that you never expected to and it felt great doing that together but it was collaborative and I've I've said it to a lot of people that I felt like Managing a band prepared me more for screenwriting than any screenwriting class I've done, which which shouldn't make any sense, but it but it really I really think it has. I love that though because it actually is kind of a natural progression because the one thing that all of those have in common is that kind of sharing ideas, that collaboration. You know, like whether it is um, you know working in a trade or or, um, or and and you're chatting with them as well. You know what I mean? Like you're in that kind of setting. Mm. Um, where you need to chat with people and what you do actually requires you to chat with people, mm. um, you know, which goes right back to, like you said, you know, with your, when you were 15 or 16, you said yeah. that um, your teacher saying that. So it all makes sense. I think just sometimes we need to, 
have somebody point that out to us. And then you're just like, oh God, it's that connecting the dots thing, isn't it? Oh, now I get, now I get. Right then. Number five in your, in your five ways, five mindsets to have to kick down the doors if you're an outsider is find your people. No matter how isolated you feel, there will be people like you out there. Do you want to, do you want to expand on that for us? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I just think, especially when you're an outsider, and especially if you're going through a time where you just can't break in, you know, stuff isn't working for you. Um, we tend to, there's, I think, a bit of shame involved in that. And, um, you know, we kind of suffer on our own, because it's too embarrassing to say that we're failing, or it's too embarrassing to say we're struggling, or that we feel lonely or isolated or whatever else. And so we just end up in this ridiculous cycle where we feel worse and worse and worse. So for me, it's like, if you feel out, if you feel no one is ever an outsider, no one is, I don't care what box they've put you in. I don't care. You know what I mean? There are other people who have been in that box. There are other people who understand exactly what you're talking about. So finding your people is just that, you know, you need to find people who uh, people to work with, uh, you know, people who will give you a break, who've been through the same kind of thing. Um, you know, people who write books who, that you can read or make podcasts or other kind of content that will help you better yourself, help you uh, increase your skills, uh, be more confident, whatever else. So find the people who say things that speak to you and elevate you and find the people. And sometimes it takes a while to find people who you can work well with, you know, sometimes it could be a disaster when you're still trying to figure yourself out to try and collaborate, but they will be out there. You will find them. But the main point is just don't do it alone because you know what? Like we, nobody, nobody gets a, there is no trophy. There is no first place for doing something alone the most (laughs) or the longest or whatever else. So, you know, talk to people, spend time finding your audience and your collaborators, you know, like people with the same core values as you and the same missions as you. There's a, I'm always telling my students, there's a, 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 an academic, his name is Vincent Timto, and he researches people in systems, right? Like, so say like you left home and you go to university or, uh, you know, you did one trade and then you move like from journalism to screenwriter. So then you're in a new world. So it's what happens when you enter a new world, right? Mm as a musician or just as anything, right? And um, he's shown that um, you're much more likely to not quit the more you enmesh yourself around people who do the same thing, which is why I'm always telling screenwriters, get on Twitter, go into writing groups. You know what I mean? Mm. Because when you fail as a screenwriter, which you will inevitably many times, you know, your, your mom or your partner or whatever might not understand the devastation oh, yeah. of that, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, exactly, right? And so especially if you're the only one in your family or group of friends or whatever who's doing whatever it is you want to do, you have to talk to other people who are doing the same thing because they give you advice, they hold you accountable, you know, they give you um, pathways in this creative field or whatever it is that you wouldn't have thought of. Um, You know, they'll call you to task when you need to be called to task. They'll encourage you. um, And, and you just 
desperately, desperately need that. It, you just do psychologically because I don't care how introverted we are, you know, and I'm a super introverted person, but, you know, we are still at, at, as humans, social animals and our biggest innate need is acceptance, mm. period, you know, psychologically. That is what, you know, and we have never been so lucky as we are now with the world is so small. You know what I mean? Like imagine trying to like network or find people who are like, imagine being the only weirdo in the South of England in like the 12th century. You know what I mean? Like there's just no way you're going to meet anyone else like you. And then you really are like living an isolated thing. But we're not like that. You can literally on your phone, Google something, you know, whatever it is that you want to do your own specific brand of weirdness, you know, the weird stuff that you like, whatever it is, you can immediately, instantly find other people who are Mm. like you. I mean, how amazing is that? No. And I think, and I think it's the, I think in a way what you're saying there is it's the, it's, it's the want to do that. That's going to help you. You know, you kind of ignoring that as a, ignoring that aspect of it. I mean, a book, a book that I read that went during a sort of time when I was feeling that isolation and it was definitely early doors I made the I made the grave error of of not really managing my own change from one thing to another I just went today I'm that mm-hmm. yesterday I was that today I'm this and then I didn't realize yeah. till 12 18 months down the line that I'd not really softened the blow a bit and I read uh, the war of art which is Stephen Pressfield's book um and oh yeah yeah I remember the conversation the other day and he, yeah and he he talked for the first this plays into your idea of finding people to be around you to support you. He's like he was basically saying, find people that support what you're doing and want to help you, and get rid of the people that only want to criticize you or not take you seriously for what you're doing. Because let's be honest, nobody's asked me to write a speculative script. So in a way, it's like throwing throwing uh, money in the air in in some senses. But I want to do it because I think I can do it to a good enough thing that someone might want to make it. But somebody who does understand yeah. that that compulsion will never understand you doing it. I mean, the amount of times I've been asked, so who pays you? And I go, well, I have to pay for it myself. And then, you know, it sort of becomes part of my own living cost. You know, it's like, it's it's a choice I've made. And people who go to work every day don't appreciate that. And so Steve Pressfield's saying you want to get people in your life who can, like echoing what you're saying, who, who can appreciate what you're doing and also be be a carrot and be a stick in your life as well. Cause there are going to be times when you need to kick up the ass. There's no two ways about yeah. it. And somebody else who knows what you're going through is in a better position to give mm-hmm. you a kick up the ass than someone that doesn't. And you're more likely to accept it. Yeah. hundred percent. And like, you know, and, and then there's really low moments when you really thought that, you know, particular director was going to love your script or, you know, those are really emotionally devastating moments sometimes. And especially when you're just starting out, you know, or you need a job to pay your mortgage or whatever it is. Mm. So, um, and, and, and so it's really, really important to kind of, it's okay to lean on people. And, but this is important. It's okay for, you have to be there for other people too. You know, like yes, I always say with, you know, with networking and the community or whatever, it's not about what you can get from people. It's about how you use your experience and talents and everything to help other people. And if everybody had that attitude, oh my God, it would be a completely different thing. So just always be aware that we can't just take from other people. You know, we have to be there for them. We have to help them. We have to introduce them. You know, we introduce people who are looking for a thing. You know, there's, there's a million things you can do to help other people. And so, um, and it's always, it's, it's important you know, to, to keep that in mind. 
No, I'm, funny enough, I watched um, I watched a, a YouTube today um, that's had six million views, and it's called the Success Paradox. And the guy, the guy giving the the talk, as it were, basically says we overestimate how much we've done to something and underestimate how much luck was involved. You know, in terms of yeah. luck always plays a part in it. And he said, so if you do happen to yeah. get it, it, what, what I thought was really great was he, he sort of said, if you do happen to get lucky off the hard work you've done, then in a way your job is to pay it back and provide some luck for people that might not be as lucky as you almost. It's like try and find a way to increase the spread of luck because obviously being born in Britain makes me luckier than a lot of people around the world just just, just by accident of birth before I've even decided took my first steps in life, you know. So so, you know, when I get when I get what I think is a success later, there has been luck involved whether I like to believe that or not. Hmm. And I may well have struggled and I may but, well have fade out, felt isolated, but that doesn't change the fact that I'm lucky as a starting place. Yeah, 100%. And even if you've had a really shit time and you didn't have any breaks and it took you like 20 years to get somewhere, then you know how bad it is and you know mm. what it feels like. And so, you know, they use that phrase all the time, don't they? Put the, lad- you know, put the ladder down behind you so that mm. somebody else can like, come up. And that is... Oh my God, that's so important because I think we all know what it's like to kind of be on our own and 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 look for somebody and look for help and not have anybody there willing to help us. And that is that is a brutal, nasty place to be. And you know, we need less of that in the world, I think. So well, look, we've done our five now. I'm going to just re I'm going to re- repeat them, as it were. So of the <laughs> so we had, we've just gone through five mindsets to have to kick down doors if you're an outsider. So we've got one, you belong. Two, continue to get better at whatever it is that you do. Three, the thing that makes you different is your greatest asset. Four, there is never only one way to get to where you want and find your people. I think there's there's a whole lot of other things we could have talked about, but I think there's there's a whole heap of advice in there and and some good pointers. Um, you mentioned a couple of books. Is there any other books that you've you've found? Uh, inspiration and, and encouragement in that you want to you want to name check while we're while we're on the podcast. Yeah, hundred percent. Like, I, oh god, what's who's the author of the Big Leap? Is a big one, um, especially if you're um, uh, if you have problems with self belief or self sabotage. Mm. Um, then the Big Leap because uh, they talk about um, your upper limit problem, which is that you can only have so much happiness, <laughs> and then when something good happens, you tend to self sabotage. It's like a thermostat, yeah, yeah and yeah. you tend to self sabotage. You know, so that's why, like, you know, when you get like you sell your first script, what's the first thing you do? You go out and party like crazy, which makes you feel like crap the next day because your brain is resetting. Oh, no, I have, I can't I can't have that much happiness. I've got to like, get it back down to here again. And then I've got to freak out about trying to sell the next one. And what am I going to do? So that is really, really good. I love that book because um, that's a big problem. I think I have I have an upper limit problem big time. So and then, yeah, like I said, anything by Les Brown is really good. Um, uh, just for self-esteem and uh, just motivation when you're at a really low point. Um, uh, and Mel Robbins as well. I love her because I love people who just swear and just don't care and are really irreverent. You know what I mean? She is a door kicker. She is an absolute door kicker mm. and I just love her. So um, yeah, but th- I mean, I, I, I read books all the time. So there are just like a million really good one. So Gay Hendricks, that's who wrote the, the Big Leap. So okay. do you have any books that you want to recommend? Yes, I would. The other 
the, the other book that I would recommend is Art and Fear by David Bales and Ted Orland. It's not a yeah. writing book. It's written by two fine art lecturers. But what it does do is it talks, it talks to the process and it also talks to the compulsion. The idea that you're mm. compelled to do something, that should be the motivating factor. You know, what is it you want to do is the thing that should be compelling you, not what do I have to do. If what I have to do, I have mm-hmm. to go and pay my bills. Well, I'm not compelled to do it. You know, there's nothing, nothing's ever going to compel me to pay me bills, but I know I have to, so I reluctantly do, you know. Whereas I definitely don't have to write a script, but thankfully, you know, there's something in me that's compelled to do it. But what they also tackle there, though, is if there comes a point where you don't feel compelled, then that's the time to stop. It's like it's not a crime. And and that's kind of, that was a big eye-opener for me. It's like the idea of failure was not having achieved whatever measure you decided was success. But actually, what they were saying, what they would argue is that you're compelled to do something for as long as you're compelled to do it. And everything you do mm-hmm. is a work in progress on the next work in progress, which, which obviously plays into you're never going to be perfect. The example they gave was they did a class they did an experiment with their class and they said, right, they split a class of 50 into two groups of 25. And they said, right, you design the perfect shoe. You design as many shoes as you can. And obviously all the interesting ideas came from the group that could design as many shoes as they could. The perfect shoe does not exist. And that's the same yeah. with, with, you know, you and I and any other writer listening to this, their development as a writer and our development as writers is based on the last thing we wrote. It's not to say we write the same thing all the time, but we are always building on that last thing. You know, we can't help it. It's 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 the only thing that we've got to bounce off. You know, we do we're always finishing the thing that is us, but it's just you know it just becomes a different guise. You know, I mean, I, I yeah. was, I was, no, go ahead. I was going to say, and I was thinking about this conversation we were going to have, and I was thinking about my own my first ever interviews where I did them, where I went and met people and did them in person. And I made a right balls of it. You know, I remember once I was so nervous. I had three pints of Guinness before I went to the interview and I could hardly bloody talk. And, you know, so it was like, but, but I, I managed to get enough for the interview and I got it written up and I learned the lesson. But, but it was, but if, I, you know, people listening to this podcast and wouldn't think that about me maybe, but I can tell you that when I first started, it was like the most terrifying thing in the world. But even to this day, there's still a bit of nerves about interviewing, which I think is healthy. And I think that's the way you should also treat networking opportunities in the sense of the, the ad- nervousness is your adrenaline, just, just trying to get you ready for it, to me. And, and I think one of the hardest things to do, and I found one of the most beneficial things to do, is often not to chase the conversation. Be happy mm-hmm. to stand in a room full of people talking to no one for a bit. And I don't mean look at your phone. I mean, be, be, be aware and looking around the room, but not chasing the conversation and stuff. Because often the conversation mm-hmm. can find you. If, you're, if People are moving about, so you might as well be the one that stands still. And I found that, you know, that I'm not saying I've met every single collaborator I've ever found that way, but certainly at some events, I found that one of the most beneficial ways to get talking to people is to just be the one that stays still. Um, and it takes a bit of nerve at first because it's, it's odd to be stood there doing nothing. <laughs> no, well, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's a brand new strategy for me. Um, although I always tell people to, to step back and watch groups and watch how they function because I give them little tips on how to get into the groups and everything. But 
Um, I tend to find that we have put so much pressure on ourselves at a networking thing, you know, to get a result. I must close this. I must have a meeting with this person afterwards. I must get them to like me or whatever else. And if we just took that time to get to know a little bit more about that person, you know, so in other words, like if you meet a producer, instead of like, how long have you been doing that for? So boring. It's not memorable. There's too much pressure on it. So what I always like to ask is, oh my God, that's so cool. I love that you're a producer. Talk to me about the moment that you decided that's what you had to do. Were you watching a movie or like, mm. you know, what was it that made you go, that's what I want to do? Because if you can get them into an emotional state, you know what I mean? That's po- like a, a, a positive moment like that. It's so much more interesting. And then you can find out what makes them tick. Because then they go, oh my God, yeah, I was watching Jaws. Or, you know, it was Indiana Jones. And it was amazing. And I just knew that I had to be part of something really big with a huge story. And then telling you everything about themselves just by talking like, you know, about things like that. So I find um, maybe if we combined our two tips right there, mm. we'd be unstoppable. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> and wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that be a scary, exciting world? <laughs> we'll have a huge production company in like two years' time. <laughs> well, look, Amanda, it just gives me to say thank you very much for giving us your time on the BritFlix podcast. Oh, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure, a real, a real pleasure, and I, uh, I appreciate the invitation, Stuart. Thank you. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover South Carolina.